0: Good morning, so Pastor Brian gave me a little bit of an introduction, so I'll just leave it at that. I just want to say that I'm just so humbled to, uh, to be here this morning with you all, and um, you know, this is, this is, I don't know if any of you have played sports in your life, but this is pretty similar to uh, coming off the bench, having never played a game, and then taking the position of a quarterback in the Super Bowl. You know, when Pastor Brian asked me to to, to be here to preach uh, today, you know, I didn't realize what the magnitude of that really would be uh, to really reflect and and prepare this morning. So I'm just so humbled by that, and and really, I'm just so amazed to see how God worked things out this morning, even with Wally just just bringing up reflecting on what we're so grateful for, and so I wanted to just share. Uh, how grateful I am that we can we can be together regardless of where we 're at um, you know i had the expectations that I was going to come home with my family, my wife, and my four sons and and be with our family and i had co- I had COVID two two three weeks ago now, and we were nervous about coming home and, and spreading that. We tested our oldest son and you know he didn't didn 't have anything and then we got home and he had a fever and he tested positive for that, um, and so they're not here, as you can see, and so it really just caused me to, to really reflect on the expectations we have and what what can we see that is fixed, and I'm just so grateful that regardless of where we're at, whether we're here in this building together, that we are bound together uh, in the body of Christ, and that whether you're here or whether you're at home watching this, or if, even if the audio is not working for whatever reason it doesn't matter Um, we are we are united by faith and and by the grace of our Lord Um, and he causes us to be of of one mind and that's what I'd really love to to look at this morning so would you join me in, in prayer God as we begin to the day with worship we just we fall on our knees this morning we understand that your ways are so high. You tell us that your ways are like the distance of the heavens above the earth and that your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts are so much higher than our, than our thoughts. And so we think about this and we recognize that we, there's no way for us to know you unless you come to us. And we remember this, this time of year when we, when we think about what it means for you to be among us. What it means for you to come down from your throne and be Emmanuel, God with us. God, we know that when left to ourselves, we have no way of seeking you or knowing who you are. So we are so grateful that you have given us your, your living an eternal word. I just ask that you would remove me out of the way and that all of your people would see through me to the significance of your word and to to take in your word and to receive it as the lens by which we can see you dimly now. And we look forward to when we'll see you and we trust that you are coming again. And we will see your glory fully. Until then, Lord, show us a glimpse of yourself this morning through your word. Allow us to see you and taste and know that you are good. I ask this in the name that is above all other names, Jesus Christ. Amen. So like I said, I was excited to, to come and preach to take the opportunity of being home to to be together with my family and come here and to to preach. Uh, But I just have to say that Pastor Brian and I talked about what text I was going to take a look at and I told him, you know, I just want to, I really want to look at how God comes to us and what what that means. He recommended this text this morning in Philippians 2. And I guess what I want to say first off is that I've had over a month to prepare for this, and that I've really been preparing for it the whole time. Uh, and really, the more that I've prepared, the more I've recognized my inability to really comprehend what it is to, to have the mind of Christ, to, to, to know what it is to, to be God. And so through that preparation, I really recognized my emptiness to, to be able to think about God and to, and to try to arrive at some understanding of who He is. And I realized how deep the need is to, to have something that transcends our, that, that distance between us, and that is His Word. And that He, that he has established who He is in His Word. And, and that is where He reveals it uh, by His Holy Spirit, who is our teacher. And so I would just encourage you all to to just look beyond me. I I am honestly nothing. I see myself as nothing. The more I look at God, the more I I see myself as nothing. And that is all that I desire, is that we can see him, and then we can see how he fills us. He fills the nothingness that we are, and he, and he, he makes us who we ought to be. So let's... Let's dive into our text here. If you want to turn to it, it's Philippians chapter 2, it's verses 5 through 11, and it's in the back of your Bible. It's just a sliver there in the New Testament. It's a letter from Paul, but it is full of great treasury of theology. So we'll read. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. You know, Paul was zealous for God before his conversion, as we many of us know. Um, he took God's law seriously, he worked hard to, to uphold it himself, and he also used that zealous power that he had to, to enforce God's law, and so he used his power and his authority of, of his knowledge and his high standing to enforce that on the people that he thought were of God. And it's just important to, to, to look at his posture in writing this letter. He's writing it from prison. And he's writing it with this great theme of joy and this great theme of unity and, and how do we have this, this unity? And we can see in his imprisonment that a, a drastic change. And we can see that God has changed his mind. God has convinced him that not his will, but God's will. It will be so. And so even Paul being convinced that he thought he was doing God's will, we see that he wasn't, and that's important to, to recognize here this morning. He had joy in chains, and so he's writing to the church in Philippi, and Philippi was an area that was very much influenced by Roman culture, and Roman culture was really heavily based on citizenship and, and belonging and where we are in that social order and it creates our standing uh, in the society. And we can see that all the way through to, to this day, how important it is that that social order, we have different statuses that we see. And so Paul, Paul saw this in the church and he's very concerned about it, um, that in the church there, there's one order and that it's Christ, the head and that we are his members, and that we are very much dependent on the operation of his mind to bring us into unity as the members that make up his body. So Paul is encouraging us to unity. seems to be his main theme in this letter. How do we overcome these divisions, these these, uh, separations that we have? amongst ourselves? How do we overcome those? How are we united? And so he's, he's pointing to this mind in Christ. So we're going to look at the, the mind of Christ if we can. And you know, the more I thought about this, the more I recognized that there, we cannot comprehend the mind of God. All we can do is to look as Paul recognized, is to look to the person of who God is in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're doing in this text. That's what Paul's saying. This portion of Scripture from 6 to 11 is actually written in what scholars recognize as a form of a hymn. And so Paul is actually in prison, in chains, and we can picture him singing about that. So he went from persecuting the church to now being persecuted by the world and singing in that. And so what is it about that? Where does he get that joy in persecution and suffering in vulnerability? Well, he points us to, to Christ here, and we're going to take a look at who he is, who is God, to try to understand the mind of Christ. It says there in verse 6 who though he was in the form of God what does it mean to be in the form of God? He's not just kind of a a replica of God. This is before his incarnation that Paul is saying that though he was in the form of God in the form of something is to be that that very essence, that very substance that, that same thing. And so Paul is saying that the Son of God is of the same essence, eternally, with God the Father. And what that means, that that eternity and what that means for us, that He would come down. You know, this, this form of God that the Son of God has we can find a a ton of links through Scripture that Jesus is, in fact, God. That he is absolutely equal with God. All the way back in Exodus 3.14, when when Moses has led his people out of Egypt and he's he's, he's wrestling with, God, who do I I say that you are? Who do I tell your people that you are? How, how, how How do I put a name on you? God simply replies to him and says, I am who I am. You can't put a name on me. I'm eternal. I am uncontained. So God says to him, say to this people, I am has sent you. The significance of this is Something that we can't possibly understand. But if we look to what he says here in John chapter eight, Jesus is uh, confronting the Jews who are questioning his authority. They're saying, "Like, you know, are you, are you, uh, are you before our father Abraham? Even Abraham died, and all the prophets died. Are you greater than them?" our great prophets and Moses and Jesus says Truly truly I say to you before Abraham was I am before Abraham was I am and so he is creating that absolute connection with the eternal God You know, we read also in Hebrews 13, 8 where the author says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. What does that mean to be the same yesterday and today and forever? Can any human say that with such consistency? You know, reflecting on that significance that jesus is the very god of creation you know i I went directly to uh, the westminster confession and i want to read this so that we can listen to these words that what it means to be god because my words are nowhere near it and these these guys got together and they must have had a a thesaurus uh words to to try to, to to try to get a handle on who this god is and what the form of god is they wrote there is but one only living and true god who is infinite in being and perfection a most pure spirit invisible without body parts or passions immutable means unchangeable immense eternal incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his will. For his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, and withal, most just and terrible in his judgments hating all sin and who will by no means clear the guilty. We can see all this that the mind of Christ is fixed. It's eternal. It is beyond our comprehension how much it is in control of of all things. Um, You know, we look at ourselves and just reflecting on our on our circumstances and our expectations. I know that we all have expectations, and, and they're the greatest during huge events um, where we want everything to be just right. You know, I, I pictured everything being just right coming home and that our family would be able to be together, and it's we're not. Yeah, I'm sure you all had some expectations this Christmas that maybe weren't met. And maybe they were met and you're grateful, but really sometimes our, a lot of times our expectations can be so great and, that, and we assume that we have power over our circumstances. You know? Because we understand what we see to be the ideal, we have a tendency to think that we have the power to, to control that and to, and to create those circumstances. And so what we can see here in Christ, having the mind of Christ as being fixed, is that we don't have control over our circumstances. But there is one who does. And he is the one that we can expect to fulfill his promises. You know, we have to look to The perfections of his eternal nature, his divine will, and see them as the source and the cause for all that is true and good and know that his plan is eternal and that his plan is for the deliverance and salvation for all who call on his name. Moving along here in the text, we see that though he was in this form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. You know, we see that he has this equality with God by being in the very form of God. Being the son of God. The, the eternal begotten son of God. And so what does it mean to go from having that authority, that power, those rights, those, those divine rights by being the author of creation. Can we comprehend what it means to be in the form of God, to, to not count that as something to, to be grasped? Would we all, if we were God, would we not all want to stay there? Think about what it means that, that God was in the ideal. He had absolute control over Everything. He was, had, had no limitations, no body. But that he didn't grasp that. He didn't cling to that. So from the end of verse 6 there, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. He emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And so what we can really see here, and what I'd like to focus in on, we can go to so many levels, but we can see that in the incarnation of this divine being, this, this, this incomprehensible being, this infinite, eternal being, we can see that he's relational. That he has a relational mind. That his purpose is to establish a true relationship with his creation. You know, a perfect relationship actually starts in the oneness, in the plurality of the Godhead. And it's all about sacrifices when we look at it that way. God is a, a relational being. He, he's, he is Existing eternally in perfect unity as one God in three persons, the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, Chapter Two, Point Three, really gives the the most clarity to what it means to be in perfect unity as a plurality of persons. It says, "In the unity of the Godhead, there be three persons of one substance, power, and eternity." God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. The Holy Ghost eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son. And so we have to be kind of careful how we use terms about relationship in the the Godhead. It's not like... You know, God's the old man with the beard and Jesus is the, 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 the uh, Caucasian bearded guy in the Godhead. We have to understand that these persons have significant duties in, in, that, in that order. Um, and that relationship that's there is one of submission, eternal submission. We see the son eternally submitting to the father's will. And that that love of the Father and trusting in the, the love of that Father even in the eternal perspective is so sure to work out in the favor of eternity that the Son of God is trusting in that, in that will that, of the Father. And we see that there is this perfect unity and plurality and it's just absolutely fixed and in perfect order it's relation. You know, in Genesis one twenty six, we see a plurality right out of the gates. We see that God is, is not just, you know, the old man in the, in the, in the clouds uh, directing all things. It says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. right right out of the gates, his plan was to establish a people for himself. To be united with him in the very likeness of himself. Jesus says in in his high priestly prayer in John 17, he's calling on the Father, he's praying and he says, that they may all be one just as you Father are in me and I in you That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, and the glory that you have given me, I have given them, and that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, even as you loved, you loved them, even as you loved me. What does it mean to to empty yourself in a relationship? It says, He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. You know, Jesus, the Son of God, not. Counting equality with God, a thing to be grasped, is really something that we we can't fully comprehend. And so he comes to us to show us. He comes to us to show us what it what it means to set ourselves aside to serve a greater cause than ourselves. In Genesis 3, we see the necessity for his his needing to come to us, to show us what this means. Adam and Eve thought it was best to go their own way. And so all of humanity was separated from God from from that moment on. The Shorter Catechism, question 16, says, Did all mankind fall in Adam's first transgression, and the answer is that the covenant being made with Adam, not only for himself, but for his posterity, that's anybody who descends from them, which is all of us who descend him from him, by ordinary generation, sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. So there's something that, that's distinct here, that we, we are separated. Uh, we read in t- Ephesians 2.1 that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We also see that from John 1, 10, he says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who was at the Father's side, He has made him known. And so by emptying himself of this infinite reality, showing us what it means to, to be in a relationship with him, with others, and how much we need to draw on him by being in him for that to work out. taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He set aside his credentials. I mean, it's like the CEO of the most successful company in the world who's rich and has, has no limitations, demoting himself to the position that's lower than the janitor. And that doesn't even come close to, to illustrating what it means to be God, and to take on flesh. At the same time, it's important to recognize that he didn't empty himself in a way that he wasn't divine, that he didn't have the authority that he always had. He remained divine, but he took on flesh and had the limitations of a body. And in doing so, in those limitations, he shows us his nature of sacrifice. Colossians 19, it says that in Jesus was all the fullness of God was pleased to, to dwell. And so we know that the divinity that, that Christ has was absolutely divine, 100% divine, and 100% human. It's a full uh, uniting of the divine to the, to the flesh. Hebrews 1.3 says that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Colossians 1.15 says that he is the the image of the invisible God. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Ephesians 2, 13 through 14 and 16 says that in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. So making peace it might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And it's important to think about like where where do our relationships begin? Because we all know what it's like to have a relationship. Where do they begin? Because the re- true relationship begins in the in the Godhead. A perfect one begins in the in the, in the divinity. How do our relationships begin? Well, first, we have to be born. So the first relationship we have is with our parents, and we don't even recognize them. We're totally dependent on our parents. We're totally dependent on their sacrifice to us. If it weren't for the sacrifice of our parents, we would be left to die. They feed us, they 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 set their their time aside to to care for us to provide for us. And I know the illustration is is a natural one and it's it's limited because although we were all born of parents and we we're all helpless at some point our parents may not have been a a good representation of what it means to sacrifice. But that's okay. I mean God intended this to be so that regardless of what our circumstances in, in, are in the familial relationship that is natural in our families, that whether we recognize our parents' sacrifices for us, or whether we recognize our, recognize our parents didn't sacrifice anything for us, either way, we recognize some sacrifice needs to be made. Some emptying of ourselves has to occur. And I had no idea what it was like to sacrifice until I took my parents for granted my whole life. I took my parents for granted my whole entire life. Maybe some of you have. It wasn't until I started to have kids and I realized what kind of sacrifice I needed to make for them that I could recognize what my parents did for me, and I'm grateful to be on that side of the coin. But you know what? We're all helpless anyways. Our parents really can't control our circumstances either, and so we we really need to look to the relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father and what he's done to establish that with us. You know, This really does apply whether we have good parents or bad parents. Whether we become parents or are never parents at all. God uses these relationships, this this absolutely necessary uh, natural relationship to show show us either way. Uh, There's there's failings, there's shortcomings. Either we're ungrateful for, for great care and sacrifice, or we long because of the sacrifice that our parents didn't make. You know, this applies to all of us in different ways, but the importance of sacrifice in, in this relationship is just so important. And the, and the reality is that we can only learn so much in these natural relationships. Whether we're parents, or whether we're children, or whether we're becoming parents, they can all be wonderful, and they, they are wonderful things. God intends for us to, to establish relationships with each other. But they can also be terrible. We were designed for a divine relationship with our creator, an eternal relationship, the source of all other relationships. And we can only know what a perfect relationship is by coming into that body of Christ. That we are attached to the head that knows everything about relationship. And so being united to him as our head and serving him as his body members as he served his body to us ultimately in the cross and what we can see is that by god emptying himself and taking on the limitations of our flesh we can see how great a need it is for us to empty ourselves of ourselves recognize our limitations Recognize that we have no control over our circumstances. But there's one who does. There's one who desires that we would be in a relationship with him and experience that perfect love. Now, that love flows from him and through us into the world. And this is what Establishes unity. You know, him being in the form of God and in the likeness of men, he's also found in human form. And so he humbled himself in this form, by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. You know, I really can't speak on what it means to be obedient to this degree. All my life I've been a rebel. I never wanted any authority. And I think that it's kind of natural to, to go to that place Recognizing that in this world, there's so many people competing for our attention, competing for authority. Everyone's an expert. Who do we trust? Who, who's our teacher? You when know, we go on YouTube, there's 5,000 people telling us how to brush our teeth. And they're all different. How do we know who to trust? It's just so natural to not trust anyone. It actually ends up being our safest condition is to, is to not trust anyone. We, we separate ourselves. You know, we, we see so many different opinions of what we're to do in, in COVID circumstances. Who, who are we obedient to? You know, we, 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 we are lost. We're lost without our teacher who shows us we are obe- to be obedient to him by becoming his servant. We look at employment right now. Nobody wants to have a job. What is that? Violence and the divisions in our world—it's because we, none of us know what we're to be obedient to. None of us want to serve; we want to serve ourselves. And I, I admit that I have the, the same mind. I want things to go well for me before they go well for others. And what is that? You know, I, I don't want to go to work either. I want to stay home and and be on my couch with my family. This disobedience is, is, is all around us. It's because we don't know who we are to be obedient to. Who should we serve? And we, we see here that it, it's just so natural for us to go our own way. To, in this society that's promoting individualism and freedom and, and liberty and personal rights, you know, do we do we even have personal rights? Who establishes those rights? Sure, the government said one day that we were entitled to these natural liberties, but what do those mean? God establishes our rights, and so if we don't know who God is, and if we don't know what He intends us for us and how to live. We remain lost. We have no, no reason to think we have any rights. Now, the application here of this, this obedience, though, is that Jesus advocated for none of these things that we're advocating for in this world. We're all promoting this liberty and these... Standing up for ourselves and, and, and really promoting ourselves. And Jesus is, in a stark contrast to that, He never advocated for those things. He had the right. He's the creator. He's the author of life. He's the author of everything. Um, and, and so looking at his, his authorship and his privileges, he does have rights. He's the only one who does. And yet he gave us a right to know him. And so by emptying himself, he didn't use his power to lord it over us. This whole world is using power. Everyone's harnessing power, even as Paul did before he was converted. He was using the power of his own mind, his own knowledge, his own standing to lord it over people. He was beating it into their heads and that's just the natural way that the world goes. It's like we we want to be conquerors. We want to conquer others, we want to conquer our circumstances. And God shows us that that's not who he is, and that's not who he made us to be. And he didn't use his power to lord it over us. He didn't come down and tie us up. and and cause us to become Christians. That's not how how he does things. He was willing to submit his, Jesus, as the eternal son of God, is willing to submit his will to the Father's will. Even unto death. I mean, I I don't even think I can begin to to speak on what it means to be obedient unto death can any of us understand what it means to be obedient unto death? Even death through crucifixion. You know, it's it's Jesus' willingness to endure the greatest humiliation here that we can see. It would be humiliating for somebody of his status as the king of the universe to show up as a servant. How humiliating is that? To have credentials and, and, and to not boast in them. To have the greatest credentials and to not use them to our advantage. To have the greatest credentials and, and not be found clinging to them. Jesus shows us in his humiliation here, though, that we can find joy in our sufferings. We can know that by being united to him, by his grace of coming down, stooping down to us, by believing that to be so, we can know that he has delivered us from the powers of this world. He had the power over death itself. And so that by having that authority and that power and by his perfect work of obedience to the will of his father, he has overcome the world. He has overcome these powers that are trying to keep us down. He's the king who will return and destroy disobedience. He's the author of obedience. He's going to come down here again, and he's going to destroy disobedience and evil and suffering. He's going to destroy those fears. He's going to destroy the fears that cause us to want to control our circumstances. And that when we are united with him, we're of the same mind. We're attached to a fixed will, a perfect plan. You now, his obedience shows us he, he, he's our counselor. He came down here to counsel us as well. Came down to teach us. He came down as our counselor. He relates to our sufferings. Taking on flesh and experiencing all the things we, we do. He's obedient in, in relating to our sufferings, and he's choosing that to be so. He's not conquering us with an iron fist. His obedience shows us that he's gentle and that he's merciful and that he's willing to come to us where we are. And we're all in different places. You know, we just really have no control of our lives. We have no control of our circumstances. We have no control of our relationships. There's no amount of research that we can do to understand. There is no amount of learning that we can gain. There's no amount of power we can develop or or to, to process in a way that we can make these things be so. There's only one who was and is and is to come that has solved these problems that we face. And he's with us. He's God with us. He's with us now by his spirit and his word. And he is the word. We see him in there and it is there that with open arms he receives us by faith trusting in what he came down to accomplish Or to trust god and seek him in his mind in christ through his word we'll always fall short but the point of this this text is that paul's not giving us a formula to follow some routine that we can work through and conquer in a way that we can control things. He's pointing us to the one who did have that authority and that power. He's pointing outside of himself from those chains. He's pointing us to come outside of ourselves to be found united with Christ. To find that joy that we can have in the sufferings of of this life. To find rest in His perfect plan, His perfect unity, His perfect work, His perfect knowledge, His perfect humility, His perfect obedience, His perfect grace. His, not ours, not ourselves. You'll notice I haven't even touched on verses 9 through 11, and I almost cut them entirely from the text. Because what we're trying to comprehend here in the time we have is absurd to imagine that we can even touch or even scratch the surface. But at the end here in 9 through 11, it's God's exaltation. the more I reflected on this text, I, I just really did realize that I am so unworthy to even try to explain what it means to be exalted. The way that Christ is. The way that he came and died is so humiliating. I would never be able to imagine it. I, I can't explain these verses, that's the truth. can't explain 9 through 11. I'm not sure anybody really can. Our words are so limited. I'm not sure anybody can explain what it means to have the name that is above every name. I'm not sure anybody should even try to explain what that is using words. You know, I was sitting in my parents' house yesterday just thinking about what it means for, for, for God to come down to us. What, is it, what does it mean? What does Christmas mean? You know, we look for our satisfaction in, in all these packages and wrappings. Almost all those packages are empty, You know? We get stuff that we think is gonna help us. It just breaks. It just false apart. Everything does. There's just one. There's one who doesn't break. There's one who's fixed. There's one who's relational. There's one who has come to us to show us what is fixed. To guide us, to be our teacher. And that's God in Christ. By His Holy Spirit. Knowing there's no words to comprehend His exaltation. As I was sitting there yesterday on Christmas, my mom put some Christmas music on, on the TV. One of the songs was um, Carrie Underwood singing O Holy Night. And to try to imagine the magnitude of what that means. The Holy of Holies came and dwelt among us. That we could be united to Him and that we could be in union with the Divine. The greatest verse in that song is Fall on our knees and that's all I want to do and he's caused it to be so he's revealed the one that we should fall on our knees and praise and so empty ourselves and be made full of his love and be caused to serve him the right order, in the right ways, establish our relationships and love him and love others. And he's establishing that. He's causing that to be so. That's a great hope for us. You pray with me. Father, as we try to comprehend what it means for you to come down to us, we are so limited. We are your creatures. You are the creator. But you have. You have come to us. Only we didn't recognize you because you weren't like the way we expected you to be the first time. We thought you would come down and conquer everything all at once. Why not? so that we can understand that we are to submit to your will. We are to trust you. To be obedient as Christ was obedient to the Father. We are called into obedience by abiding in your grace. And so, Lord, cause us and enable us to ponder these things as we close in praising you that humiliation and exaltation you experience by taking on flesh and overcoming this world and overcoming death and division, and causing us to be united of one mind, by one spirit, and that regardless of where we are in our lives, in our physical locations, you unite us by your spirit. And that no matter how broken the world is, and no matter how broken our relationships are, you're the one who has established. You're the one who caused relationships to be, and you're author of their perfection. Help us to reflect on those things as we go forward, as we understand our role in this world as the created beings that are created in your image. Restore us to your image, Lord. Restore us to the image of Christ. That we could be found as servants when you return. Surely you will return, Lord. Until then, increase our faith in the mind of Christ. Pray all this in Jesus' name. stand and continue worship